This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! They all they're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, It is the future. Mankind has conquered the stars. He moves out to the endless interstellar reaches of the universe. An advanced exploration force. A new breed of pioneer must seek out unstable planets and destroy them. Drive sequence begun. Hit it, pin back. And you are on the mission of the 21st century planet smashers. in space, one million light years from Earth. Their job is to clear a path for the colonization of space. Back home, back home in Melbourne. I used to surf a lot, Talby. I used to be a great surfer. Travel in an infinite universe with mind-melting excitement from beyond the stars. I have received the operational signal. Hello, Bob? Are you with me? I wish I had more time. Why don't you have more time? Because I must detonate. folks welcome once again to cinema degeneration we are celebrating john carpenter appreciation month this is a several show a string of several shows that we're doing here celebrating the life and the works of one john carpenter and this evening or this afternoon we are doing the 1974 first feature film from jc 
Dark Star, and my host uh, for this evening is Timo Sabin of the Timo and Harley Show. How we doing? We're doing good. How you doing, Cameron? I am doing spectacular. Good, excellent. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about this movie. I actually saw this movie when I was a little kid. Believe it or not. Oh my! Did it blow your mind? Because <laughs> it it destroyed uh, mine. Yeah. Well, I'll, I guess I can set it up a little bit. We had. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, the, actually, the television pro channel was in Champaign, Illinois. I used to live in Decatur, Illinois, and our CBS channel, believe it or not, was Channel 3, which made it very interesting for people with VCRs back in the day and video game oh, consoles. Man. Yes, so, uh, but they, it was more of a mom-and-pop station being in Champaign, Illinois, so it was kind of a low-budget station. They would get fed some of the you know good series and stuff at night, but during the day, it was a Wild West, as TV used to be. And so one of the packages that they got of movies to play in the afternoon, like during the week, was a bunch of no-budget sci-fi stuff. Dark Star was one of them. There was the Alien Factor. Of course it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then there was the Alien Factor, Eyes Behind the Stars, I think. And there was a couple other ones, too. One, I think, was The Bubble. Don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but there was... It's a... No. It's a movie about a town that is trapped in a force field bubble. Nobody can get to him and nobody can get out. So it's a pretty. This was a '70s, so this had to be a '70s release. So yeah, this like predated. Uh, predated under the dome by like thirty years. Yes, for forty years. Oh, yes, geez. yes, nice. correct. So there were all these, and they were all. You know, 16 millimeter, blown up to 35, grainy, a lot of people wearing flannel, a lot of beards and long hair. Um, <laughs> and, and, but they were, and they all had like, you know, moved soundtracks and very strange stuff, but they all had a similarity to them, a bizarreness to them. And Dark Star is a great example of that. Uh, THX 30, or THX 30, ah, THX 1138 would probably be the, Gone with the wind of those weird, uh, you know, 70s sci-fi movies, you know. There's a THX reference in this. I remember reading that somewhere in the trivia section. I did not catch it while I was watching it, though. But apparently there is a, a, men a mention of THX in, in here somewhere. Well, that was a pretty so big... I'm not sure if you... Well, it was a pretty big, uh, I think, student film at UCLA before they redid it, I think, as a... As a feature, so it was a very legendary film to the students there. As, as a matter of fact, uh, so is Dark Star now. You know, uh, it's basically being student films that were either added to or changed or something to become to become a uh, a feature film. So it doesn't surprise me at all that that there's references or there's trivia to one movie, you know, to the other or whatever, you know, whatsoever. Because I mean, THX eleven thirty eight that predated this by a good three or four years i think sure right and yeah exactly exactly yeah but uh, let's let me go ahead and give the the quick imdb synopsis which is very uh very short very trite <laughs> i don't know i don't writing these things these days too i don't know if you've noticed but they're some of them are a little low on the ice on the iq scale uh people oh, that yeah. are writing up these things yeah, sometimes I, I do wonder who they pay, if, or if they, they probably do pay very weakly, uh, you know, to write these things. But 
Here right. we go. Here we go, folks. I don't have a movie guy voice. So I'll just try to be as regal as I can here. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> in the far reaches of space, a small crew, 20 years into their solitary mission, find things beginning to go hilariously wrong. That's really not that bad. It's not, you know, Dan O'Bannon wrote the wrote the screenplay with John Carpenter, but he obviously did not write the uh, this little two-sentence <laughs> synopsis. No. no, it's not going to make me throw money at it, you know, to be an investor or anything. This is going to be like, oh, where's your, that, that's your pitch? That's the pitch right. you're going with, all right? Okay. There's these guys that are on a spaceship and they're bored. Right, right, right. And they're fucking, they're, they're nothing but trouble for one another. Literally <laughs> right. nothing but trouble. Right. But, you know, I mean, uh, Dan O'Bannon would go on to write the, the much, much more successful and much more popular and much better film, Alien. Uh, yeah. You know, and also write, you know, Return of the Living Dead, uh, you know, uh, uh, Blue Thunder, which is a, like a favorite of mine. I, I got to figure out a, a, a style of show to do where I have an excuse to review Blue Thunder. There you go. Yeah, have a, have a Roy Scheider show. There you go. Roy Scheider Appreciation Month. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But Dan O'Bannon, not only, uh, like, I know acting was not his forte, but he's pretty much one of the main characters. Well, uh, there's only, like, really four characters, five if you count uh, uh, Captain Powell, or no, Commander mm -hmm. Powell. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Like, I, I love the, the, the opening of this. It's got some very. Uh, Galaga, Zaxxon type of graphics, you know, where it says incoming mm -hmm. transmission. And I made a note here, it says, from Earth base, mission control McMurdo, sound Antarctica to, st st to scout ship Dark Star. Now, right. Right. I'm, I didn't have the time to go back and watch a, a certain section of the thing where uh -huh. Wind Windows is talking over his, you know, his little ham radio and whatnot and try to, 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 contact people i think he's calling mcmurdo oh is he I, I think i think that's a little wink and a nod now i can't confirm this i, I can do it later on when we're done with the show but yeah. uh i i think that's a little wink and a nod to dark star in the middle of the thing but it sounds familiar um, i mean it sounds right yeah i mean it sounds like i mean i've seen that movie enough times i don't know the script by heart of course but but that does sound very very well, he familiar. says something yeah. like calling yeah. he says like calling McMurdo or McMurdle or McMurd something come okay. in over and yeah. I, it just rings in my head it, uh, you know, it kind of opens it to me it opens with a lot of style over the substance a little bit too because uh the way it kind of dry opens just like in the computer screen and things like that you know it really does uh, it, it, I was, I'd say it harkens back but it actually signals a lot of bigger science fiction movies um, how they liked to play things matter of fact, uh, meaning that you know you you get like a a fifties you know spaceship movie and they're, let's get your space ray gun out and they would be all they would be really dazzled by their own technology. And what I liked about movies <laughs> that that kind of went forward a little bit was that of course they're not dazzled by their technology. It's their technology. It's what they have around them. They don't care. You know about this stuff, and I think it, it sort of shows the mundane existence and having that dry computer just kind of come up and start almost—I don't want to say narrating the film, but almost like kind of coming up and just starting that real dry presence. Just shows oh, yes. you what the movie was trying to say, and I know Dan O'Bannon said this—that it sets up immediately. 
this is boring. This is long. It's lonely. It's not exciting. Um, and I think that that's what it's setting it up really good right there. Yeah, and I, I think you, you uh, touched on something that I actually wrote down word for word in my notes was this was styled over substance. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of substance with this movie. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's very whimsical, especially like when you get to uh, Pinback played by Dan O'Bannon when he's chasing around the alien. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we might as well just go ahead and we don't have to talk about this in a linear fashion. Let's talk about oh, this no, fucking okay. alien. It's a okay. beach ball. Right. With, right. with hands and feet on it. Oh, it's got the I, I w- uh, creature from the Black Lagoon gloves for feet. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a per- yeah, exactly. You mm-hmm. know, and this is where I got how to stop for one second. And say this is the only second time I've ever seen this movie. Oh, really? I, okay. I watched it once many years ago when I was in my early teens. As and it's just something I never watched again. Now I remember not liking it when I was like thirteen, fourteen years old when I saw it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was over my head or it was a little too slow because it is slow in spots, but it's. I appreciate it so much more now as an adult. Not well, probably as an independent filmmaker as well. To oh, see some of the definitely. ingenuity that they're doing, especially in the alien scene, especially in the so-called supposed elevator shaft, which is more of a, of a you know, vertical, you know, or horizontal uh, little square hallway almost, you know, where they're laying on their backs, making it look like they're suspended up in their air. It's a pretty tricky and oh, yeah. innovative little little spot. And, you know, the thing with this movie is I was probably maybe eight when I saw it the first time on television. I mean, very, very young. This movie was not made for me to watch. I promise you that. But I just remember it. The What, what other people see is, like, troublesome. The, the low budget, the graininess, the the low production values, all of it was unsettling to me. And when they got to the alien part, my little ears pricked up when they said, you need to feed the alien now. Like, oh, oh yes. there's an alien. Oh, there's an alien. You know, and then I got excited because I was, I was getting a little fatigued with what was going on. As you can imagine, eight year old who was a star Wars fan, you know, getting a little fatigued with dark star, you know, about a third <laughs> of the way in, you know, with so. the, you know like, well, the crew doesn't look like people from Star Wars. They look like they're all roadies from, like, Leonard Skinner or something. Yeah, yeah they definitely... To be quite honest. Yeah, they've all definitely seen Molly Hatchet at least twice. I promise you that. Yeah, yeah. One, one of them used to play bass for Foghat, I'm sure. <laughs> right, right. So, but when that alien came out... Now, yes, it is a beach ball. And the funny thing is, is even as a little kid, I saw the alien, and I'm like, well, that's different. <laughs> and I could tell it was a ball. Of course it's a ball, you know? And it had these little feet on it. And at first I thought, well, this is kind of funny. It's kind of goofy. But I got to tell you. I mean, I'm, I'm being honest with you here. I was little. You got to give me I was little. But that thing started It started creeping me out after a little bit. Like, it started oh, yeah. It started funny. And it started kind of whimsical. And by the time it was, it was jumping on him in the elevator shaft, I was tense. Yeah, like when it starts attacking him, I mean, it's it's all very playful, but the stakes are still high. This guy is either going to fall down the elevator shaft and fall to his death, or he's going to get crushed. Right. You know, the, the end result is still going to be same. So it, it is very tense, but it's a weird kind of tense because you're, you're at least for me, I was torn between la- wanting to laugh, <laughs> you know, right, right. At, at the ridiculous 
awkwardness of the situation, but also feeling like white knuckle in it. You know what I mean? Feeling, right. you know, the, the, the tension I was feeling for poor Danny O'Bannon, just like, right. and when he gets stuck in the, the bottom of the elevator, even get more tense there. Even when you see the floor starts to the sag, you know, when it starts to flex right. and that, right. the, you know, the bad special effects are start really coming into play, but it's still like, it, it doesn't hinder the, the tension. No, it doesn't. And, and, and it just shows how a good scene is put together and shot and blocked off and everything. I mean, because it, it, it's, you know, basically what you have here is 2001 meets Alien in somebody's garage. And that's, and to me, that's what the whole movie is. It's, it, you have like these poignant space moments where they're waxing philosophical. Which I don't really care, Damai says. I know this movie's a comedy. It's not funny. I don't think it's funny at all. Like, I don't... I, it's humorous. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's pleasurable. It's it yeah, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's definitely absurdist. But it isn't funny. I don't think it's funny. I don't find Dan O'Bannon funny. Uh, as a matter no, of fact, I, find I don't funny think people around scene. him <laughs> found him very funny. I think he was very uh, annoying to a lot of people. Yeah, he was he, very hyperactive well, when he was younger. Yeah, when it, oh yeah, he's definitely. But like the point where he's trying to tell that story, and they keep telling him, you, "You told us that four years ago. You told us that seven years ago. You know, however many years ago." And he right. still continues that. I was wholeheartedly laughing, like full strength mm. from the belly. Like I, it's really the one time I, I I found him funny. Otherwise, I found him very just uh, uh, just the, the tedious. Yeah, and annoying. Just yeah. te the tediousness of his character is just. You know, I, I I felt the tension, you know, from his uh, fellow actors and or at least right. the, fellow, the fellow characters. I'm like, I had to be stuck up there for what they say they were up there for 20 years. Yeah, which is a little odd. Yeah, too. They, they, well, I wonder how old they were when they left. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> well, it says that they were, you know, there was a line in which I, I kind of questioned the science of it, that they had been up there for 20 years, but they only aged for three like I have uh, made a, well, a question. Well, speed can do that. That's that's like almost like traveling through time. And when you get reach the speed of light, you can actually age slower. And you know, the, the people who are on the space shuttle, even when you're on an airplane, you're actually aging a little slower than people that are on the ground. And, and it's it's relativity. I know it's very very confusing, but that is relativity. It's a fact. So when people who are in space when they come back, they've actually we've aged quicker than they have because of the speed they're traveling at. And I know that's really odd, but it's true. So there is a little bit of like science to what they're saying um, when it comes to that. But, you know, I think I might have heard it said before, too. This is Dark Star. Don't worry too much about the science. You know? It really wasn't right. created to, to educate anyone like on physics or cosmology or anything like that, you know. Um, but they taught but you know, I think, use muffin I think, tins and ice cube trays and turn them into uh, space junk. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think... <laughs> I think that that's pretty cool because, you know, of course they did that in Star Wars. And, of course, you, even Mystery Science Theater, when you look at their sets, they just took a bunch of crap they had around, laying around, and just glued it all on the walls and painted over it. And it looks busy enough to where your eye can't really detect what it is. It looks like circuitry and things. Yeah, because you the have untrained eye, lights and LED lights, you know, right. around it, it'll mask it. Right, because to the untrained eye, like, junk looks like circuitry. It, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to people when they, if they don't know what, cir what a circuit board, how it works, it looks like nonsense. It looks like uh, just a mishmash of stuff. It's not. 
but it does look like that so it does work you know i think the the sets and the special effects and stuff you know people talk about how they weren't that great i'm sorry but i watched a lot of movies and like i said i i've seen a lot of movies around the same the same veracity or the same budgetary constraints but i've seen a more no budget movies from that era due to the packages that were probably sold to the, my local television show or uh, a television station that it's not that far away from other movies at the time as far as the, oh, the, no. the effects and stuff now it's not star wars and it's not 2001 but there's a reason that there's star wars in 2001 because they're not star because they're not dark star you know dark star was more like the normal effects you would see for that era and 2001 or Star Wars were blowing people away. You know, I mean, I'm sure you remember the first time you saw Star Wars in a theater when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and, yeah. and that, oh, there's no, it's, there's no denying when you hear people on like documentaries and stuff talk about when they sat there. And it, the scroll was cool, you know, with the story. But when we were little kids, we didn't read that scroll. <laughs> we just, we no. were looking at the stars and space and stuff. But then when that damn spaceship, comes overhead i mean that was yeah, that, that forced perspective shot i was yeah i was in awe right you know, my and, eyes got as big as my head mm-hmm. and you gotta think dark star that's you know what 74 you know and star wars was 77 you know so there was a bit of time I, people were kind of catching up after 2001 you know and 2001 was done so simply such simple little processes they used, you know, that worked so well, you know, and some of those are definitely employed in, in Dark Star, but it, I don't think it looks that much different than science fiction from the mid 70s. However, how many science fiction movies do you recall from the mid 70s? Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. I, I mostly remember ones from the 50s. Yeah. They really, yeah, they were uncomfortable. A lot of them were Italian. But a lot of those were after Star Wars, though. You know, rip, ripping yeah, off Star like Wars. Yeah, like Star Crash and things like that. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah. you also got to take in, into consideration that this was a student film. This was a college-made right. film that just evolved into a feature film. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's not of the calibers. It was never meant to be of the caliber of you know, 2001 or Star Wars. You know, it matter aimed for you know the stars no pun intended actually every mm-hmm. pun intended but <laughs> <laughs> right right well and, and you but, know maybe yeah. the only parts of it that were the only parts that i know that were actually part of that student film i think was like the dinner scene there was only like three parts of it that were a part of the uh above the student film and they reshot a lot of it you know the thing is too is apparently ucla was like a they acted as a studio so when you went to like their film school, uh, if you made a student film, they were the studio. Therefore, they owned your film immediately. You didn't own it. So Carpenter and O'Bannon basically stole that movie from UCLA and used the salvageable <laughs> parts and then reshot a lot of it. And Jack Harris, uh, who did the blob, gave him the money to finish it because he was looking for a sci-fi movie to put out i mean he was putting out movies like equinox and things like that so he was taking these little films and re-releasing them and turning them for a profit you know but that's and so he gave them i think it was like 60 grand or something 
to finish the film. And what's funny yeah, was that it was sixty the, grand, I think. I remember reading that somewhere. Yeah, and the and the the funny thing is, is that the actors had no idea this was going on. So technically, the movie was supposed to take a month to make, but it actually took like three years. Oh, sure. to make it. See, yeah, I did not know that. And they they were um, they had to they had to coax the actors and stuff back back. The reason Daniel Bannon is in so much of that movie because he was there. And that's the reason Daniel Bannon is in a lot of that movie. Really, Doolittle, the other character, Doolittle, is, when you think about it, is really the main guy. He's the main person you can identify with. He's the normal guy, the Joe normal guy. And Daniel Bannon is, oh, God, he had to have been annoying in real life because he's annoying in the movie. But they follow him a lot. And that is yeah, I, I feel he like was he was just the ca- the camera in a way camera liked him, you know what I mean? In in, in a manner of speaking, you know, he he was the guy that was the most uh, eccentric of the bunch. Well, he was, but he was literally there because him and Carpenter were making this movie together. So he was one of the actors, and he, so when they were when they got a little bit of money together, they got uh, like a studio or a space to do it. He was there. He was physically there. They didn't have to go find the other actors wherever the hell they were. I mean, think about if you're making a movie, and you've done this before. So think about you're making a movie, and you need you need to pick you need a couple pickup shots of one of your actors a year and a half later. Now I don't have to tell you the difficulties oh. of that. I mean, right <laughs> down to the fact maybe they lost or gained weight, maybe their hair's different, um, a la Samurai Cops. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Yeah, where you're either gonna have to shave somebody's head or give them a really bad wig. Yeah. yeah. So when you oh, think about samurai that, cop, though, man, yeah. goddamn. So, so Dan O'Bannon is there. So of course they're going to use the guy who's there to do this stuff, you know. And that's why he's in a lot of the film. There's no other reason. It's not because he was a better actor or nothing. There was no other reason than the fact that he was there, and they had to talk like the guy who played Doolittle and stuff back in onto the set. And apparently that guy. Never even met the guy who's up, who's I guess piloting the ship. The guy who's up in the glass dome, the bubble on the oh, top of the ship. Talby. Yeah, they never even met. Oh, so they were never on set at the same time? No, no. He was talking to, a, he said he was talking to like an end table. Oh, shit. That's, that's so weird. But I've, I've done that. I've shot sides of conversations that were shot in different states, let alone, you know, where the, the actors, the same actors weren't there. So it, it shouldn't surprise me so much. Right, right. Well, he was. I mean, he was. He was. It was. An, he was an actor of convenience. I mean, when you think about it. Um, I mean, really, because they had no money. They. They. I mean, you know, when you're making a movie like this, and again, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that when you get the time and you get the opportunity, you shoot. You right. shoot the movie, and so therefore, and a lot of that stuff. Remember too, Jack Harris, the, the guy who ultimately put this out, who, who gave them the money to finish it. He, he 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 hated it. He watched the well, he watched I had read the original. That, um, yeah. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. <clears throat> him and uh, Harrison Carpenter didn't get along very well at all. And I I uh, read in more than one place that that's why there's a uh, scene in the movie that actually where this computer screen flashes "fuck you, Harris" during the movie. It does do that, but apparently that was Dan O'Bannon. 
that John Carpenter oh. had difficulties with them like you would normally have with the producers giving you money. But I think Carpenter was much more professional about it, looking forward to his future. And O'Bannon, I think, was throwing more fits a little bit, you know, like, uh, and he, and so O'Bannon was not, not, take, you, not taking it in stride so much. Exactly, exactly. And the, the interesting thing, too, is that so then you start getting into the fact that you have two very strong willed people here, Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon, who they're also pulling at each other. You know, and and there's a lot of strong personalities co- going here. But but getting back to what Har- Harris did not like the movie, he wanted to he wanted a science fiction film. He liked the idea of it, but he said that you know when the film opens, you basically have these guys sitting around bored, and then they go to sleep and they start snoring, and then you have. The, the onboard computers start saying, it is now time to wake up, time for shower. And you hear a shower effect, and they're still sleeping. And now they have to brush their teeth, they're still sleeping. And then finally they get to the point where it is now time for breakfast. Oh, and then they get yeah, up to telling them, Yeah, telling them when they're going to eat, what they're going to eat, if it's going to be right. chicken again. Right, but the joke was they were going to sleep. They weren't going to keep, they weren't going to shower or nothing. But boy, when it was time to eat, they were up. They were ready to fill their bellies and stuff. It's like, yeah, see, now I don't find that very clever. The Three Stooges were pulling that crap back in the 30s. You know what I mean? So I don't really, yeah, there's a lot of new things ground. in this. No, it's not. And so Jack Harrison, you can't open a movie of people snoring. I mean, the, the, the audience is just not going to. So apparently Jack Harris and Carpenter it wasn't a perfect relationship, but I get the sense that actually Carpenter learned a lot from Jack Harris and because he had a better temperament about it. And, and now look, look, Carpenter is not the most jovial, friendly, like accessible guy. Anybody in the whole no, world no. knows that. He's not. I mean, he made my favorite movie and he's walked right in front of me before. I had no ambition to stop him and shake his hand. Just didn't. I mean, he's made some of my absolute favorite movies. But I'll buy his movies. I don't need to buy him a cup of coffee. You know, so it is what it well, is. You just, just... You know, and that's also called reading the room and knowing who you're dealing with. You know, sure. if you know somebody is not the most accessible person, then don't, you know, approach them maybe with such, uh, you know, you know, energy. You know? Well, yeah, absolutely. But Harris, I think Harris and Carpenter were playing politics with each other. And O'Bannon, he didn't know how to do that as well. You know, and stuff. So, and then you have O'Bannon and Carpenter, I think. That's going to cause tension between them two. Because you know Carpenter's going to be sitting there going, yeah, I think we ought to listen to this guy. He's handing us 60 grand. I mean, he's handing us 60 grand. We need to get this movie out so that we can get our, you know, with the, the Screen Actors Guild. You know, there's a lot of different things when you get a movie put out theatrically that are a benefit, even if the movie's crap. You know, you get your, what, your, your, your director's card, you know, whatever you get. You know, I mean, you, you have put out a yeah, legitimate get- movie. Well, yeah, you get to be part of a union, you know, you might yes. get some health coverage and whatnot. And, Absolutely. you know, everything is a stepping stone to the next project. I, right. I, I'm a firm believer in that. No matter how big or how small, it's the stepping stone to the to the next thing. Whether it's the next big thing or not, you know, remains to be seen. But let's face it. I mean, he followed this up with Assault on Precinct 13 and then Halloween. He, he learned sure. a lot. He advanced leagues and leagues as a filmmaker between this and salt on Precinct 13, let alone right. between Precinct 13 and Halloween. Right. And I, I always look at, like, the people behind those movies, too, like Mustafa Akkad and these other people like Jack Harris, who are these old, shifty money guys in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like the James H. Nicholson type guys. You know, the old, 
they'll ballyhoo guys. And and I think they took a guy like Carpenter, and I think they it helped they helped teach him the ballyhoo part of it. And he got better and better working for these independent producers. I think. I think they taught him a lot, you know. Oh, yeah. Carpenter started realizing that. And Carpenter ended up being more of a director for higher later in his career. And people criticize him for that. But um, I may, whatever you want me for hire if I need the money, hire me to work. That's what we do on Earth. We work for money. That's what we do, you know. So it doesn't really bother me too much about that. Yeah, I it just doesn't think... bother me as long as the work is still good, you know. <clears throat> you know right. Some, uh, some of his later work, you know, was, uh, albeit, you know, somewhat questionable, you know, the ward, I'm looking at you. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, and I'll go out on a limb here, and a lot of people don't like it, and I don't care. I'm a big proponent. I like uh, vampires. And that was really towards the latter part of his career. Yeah. We just yeah. covered that one here, uh, and as you would call it, the space-time continuum. You know, <laughs> right. we, we, we recorded it. It hasn't been released yet, but I still love that movie. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and as much as I love some of his, you know, other bigger work. Now, do I love it as much as the thing? You know, hell no. But... Well, yeah, I mean, the thing fun. with Carpenter's movies is that you they are movies that you have to, at least in my opinion, some of those, especially those later movies that are not as well touted as, let's say, you know, Halloween, The Thing, The Fog, which he hates The Fog, which I almost hate Carpenter because he hates The Fog, because I love The Fog so much. But there... Uh, I do too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great. But his later stuff that even myself included was very dismissive about when it came out. Um... I've, I've gone back and watched these movies. And I, I mean, they're starting with like Prince of Darkness. I mean, this was early for me. The only movie I just cannot, I don't understand. I don't know why people like it. I don't, it, to me, it's the Hudson Hawk of what, you know, cool cinema is Big Trouble in Little China. I hate that movie. I don't like one thing about it. I can't, I, I, I can't get into it. I, I don't understand what it's trying to say, what it's trying to be, what it's trying to do. I don't, I don't find it interesting. I don't like the action. I don't care. About, there's nothing about it like redeeming it all to me. I like the colors. <laughs> it, uh, it's pretty to look at. Yeah, it, it's, this is it's, one point where we're just going have to have I to agree to disagree because I understand I that a lot of people that love film. that movie. They love the movie. I never did like it. Like, when it came out in 85, I was 12. It was made for me. And I was like, I had to watch it again and say, I must have missed something because I don't like this. And it was the first Carpenter movie I did not like. And I was a Carpenter freak. Halloween was my favorite movie since I was seven years old. And, so, and then I saw The Fog and I saw The Thing. Are you kidding me? As a kid, those were the things of my nightmares. Um, I had no idea, by the way, when I saw Dark Star that John Carpenter did that. And I knew who John Carpenter was when I saw Dark Star. But I, 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 didn't, I didn't put two and two together. I didn't see the credits. and I didn't see the very, very beginning of the film uh, because the, the, the afternoon films would come on when I was still getting home from the bus, off the bus from school. And so every <laughs> afternoon at 3 o'clock, they would play a, they would play a movie till 5 for the, for the nightly news. Well, I would miss the first 15 minutes coming from school to home. So I never saw the credits or anything. I didn't know it was Carpenter. You, you could not have convinced me it was a Carpenter film. Because it looks nothing like it. No. There's no Carpenter. This is, see, to me, this is more of a Dan O'Bannon movie than a Carpenter. I mean, that's just what, how it ended up. 
I'm not saying he worked on it more. I'm well, just I think it, it was part part of the that collaborative effort that a lot of it does feel more Danny Dan O'Banish, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to John Carpenter. But yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Well, they both work, I think, better alone. I, I don't I don't think they needed each other. As a matter of fact, you look at Dark Star, you're glad they didn't go on together because they planned on it. They wanted to be a team. And they wanted to, like, he was going to, Carpenter was going to direct this movie, and then O'Bannon was going to direct the next one. And after this movie, and after dealing with Jack Harris, and Jack Harris had to let go of the rights because he, uh, he worked with, he said he was doing a, he was going through a divorce or something, so he started working with uh, that Bryanston Pictures. Have you heard of that, Bryanston? They put out Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, it doesn't they, ring a bell, but I, I believe you, but I, it, oh, it doesn't ring a bell to me. At well, all. they were the mafia company that put out some horror movies that we love. Oh, okay. The, and they're the, okay. front for the mafia. I do remember the stories of the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So they were a front for the mafia. So that, that kind of went south too. But this thing, I, you know, Carpenter you mean, has You said, mean to tell me that things don't last long in the mafia world? <laughs> Well, <laughs> so actually, uh, a movie we were talking about off air here, Mausoleum, was also produced by the Mafia. Yes, it was. I did not know that until I listened to your show. Yes. So that was That's uh, the one thing I appreciate whenever I listen to your show. I'm guaranteed to at least, even if it's a movie I know like front to back, uh, you know, I, I always end up learning something new. Well, I, and, I, always, and I appreciate right. that. Well, and we, we all, something else we were talking about off there too. There's always something to learn, and you'll find it everywhere, anywhere. The the person, the neatest things I've learned about movies were from people who know nothing about movies. You know, uh, some of the neatest things I've learned about Jaws have been from my podcast partner Ben Harley. It has nothing to do with the film. He's he read the book, and he kind of committed the book to memory. He really loved the book. And he 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 loves the movie more, I think. You know, but but the book is so different in parts. That he constantly talks about it, you know, about the difference. And he's teaching me all the time the difference between the source material and that and that movie. You know, having having a book like that, you know, where the movie, it's such an infamous movie, is based on it. And when somebody, where you actually read the book, or somebody, you know, kind of fills you in on it, it's right. just like get a preview to a director's cut that nobody else knows about. Right. Yeah. Well, know? here's one, <laughs> here's something for you. Did you know there's actually a novelization of Dark Star? Yes, I did. I, I I found that out in the in the Wikipedia. I did. Oh, very good, very good. There is, I have not read it or anything. I don't read books, but I I stopped at reading the novelization of The Fun House. It's one of my favorite movies, and the book I wanted to kick in the eye. I couldn't stand it, and it made me actually. I it, it was so bad that I actually hate Dean Koontz over it. I, I actually to own even... that book. I found it for ninety nine cents at a used bookstore. It's way back in the day. Yeah, it's 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 horrid. It's awful. It's it's, 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 it's not good. The, the no, only thing I like about it is that it, it explained more of like where the creature kind of you know came from yeah. his origin. But yeah, the book itself was horrible. Like, well, and that's where me and Ben would would disagree with you and say we don't want to know where it came from. It's more creepy just to kind of leave that obscured a little bit and uh, like the Michael Myers thing. Leave it. Leave a little imagination. You know, not knowing what you're up against is scarier than knowing what you're up against. Right, and to, right. And to me, that I, I can always agree works. with that sometimes. It always works. I mean, I like, 
one thing this movie didn't have a lot of that I do like, especially in movies like Alien, is what you get, you get, uh, this is what I don't like about zombie movies. So I'll, I'll compare them and contrast them. And Dark Star kind of, kind of like, is a part of this because it doesn't have something it needs, I think. Is that people, and I've said this before on our show and probably on this show, even though when I've been on it before, I can't stand it when people tell me that they're horror fans and they liked a certain horror film because it was about the people. I just look at them like, what? You know, that's like saying that, that that's like saying you like NASCAR because it's about the seats. Like, I, I, right. what? Like, no, I like how, horror movies. How do you movies. go see a horror movie if you don't like either A, the villain, or the monster? Well, right. It's like, and I, I always use the same example. If I want to see a movie about the people, I've got Kramer versus Kramer on Blu-ray. I can put it in anytime I want to watch human drama. What I like, and, and, and people always say about, about zombie movies, I'm like, yeah, somebody made a, so, a, a crappy drama and they got it made by throwing some zombies outside, beating on windows. That's what happened. And right, that's what right. I can't stand. <laughs> now, the, now, the difference now, is with a movie like zombie Alien. Zombie movies are my favorite. Now, zombie movies, I got to say one thing. It, or it's my favorite uh, subgenre of films, uh-huh. but it is the one that I'm continuously uh, let down by oh, more sure. than anything. Like, it's right. my favorite subgenre, probably that and Angiallo's. You know, uh-huh. but I'm is equally let down by those films more than they're anything. E- yeah, they're easily let. They're, they're easy. They, a lot of them do that. That's for both those. But the thing is, is that I'll I'll bring I'll I'll bring up a movie that was a zombie movie that you may or may not have liked. But bear with me on it because to me it is like Alien. I thought World War Z was good. I don't like new movies even, and I really thought World War Z was good. And if anyone wants to ask me why, it's because this it was not about the people. The whole movie was Brad Pitt going from one place to another, picking up information as to what the fuck is going on. And so he would, he would gather information, gather data, be kind of surprised. Oh, it's this. This is happening. Well, and then zombies would attack, and then you have like five minutes of action, and he'd hop back on his jet or his plane, and he'd fly to the next place or go to the next place. And he'd land and be calm. He'd meet new people. And then he'd, he'd gather more data. And you would learn more things about these creatures. What were they doing? Why were they there and stuff? Oh, this is great. To me, that's intriguing. Alien, the movie is, what is that? The movie isn't about Sigourney Weaver, her childhood. It's not about Tom Skerritt and how long did it take him to grow that sweet-ass beard he had in that movie. It's not about any of that <laughs> stuff. It's that about what the hell attached beard. itself to John Hurt's face. You know, I mean, that's what it's about. It's about the monster, not about the people. You care about the people because you can identify with them. It's like even with uh, Pinback. What do we, we don't know anything about him until he starts uh, talking into his diary. Right, but, but, but look, at, look at Doolittle talking about the surfing uh, it, it, it's it's integral. I mean, I mean, if you look at the very last scene, it it comes back up again. There's oh, a oh, reason yeah, for it. There's a reason for it. And and with 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 Pinback, you, you know he's these people are the the two guys. The two like I guess blonde like Daniel Bannon and the other guy, the other blonde guy or whatever. They're they're a little more loose cannons. So you have to understand that 
you know it's not going to be Dan O'Bannon's character is going to go out and try to reason with the bomb in Dark Star. It's going to be Doolittle right. because the whole movie, he waxes philosophical, which bores the hell out of me, but at least it makes sense. When yeah, you, when, when he kind of when he the, goes and he questions yes. the bomb and he kind of hits it with all those existential questions, right? You're and, not confused as to why is this character doing that. You know, you you accept yeah. it. Well, you it's know, like so, we don't yeah. know exactly. You know, a whole lot about their job other than they're taking out. I mean, just face it. The the whole idea behind this movie is it's a crew that's out and about bombing out planets that are in the like. I guess in the way Destroy, of in destroying unstable planets, destroying that's unstable the, planets and yeah. dropping bombs. That's what their that's their Star Trek three, you know five year mission, and yeah. they're bored with it. They get to drop bombs and blow up in uninhabitable, defunct planets, and they're bored with it. Right, right. You know, they're just like kind of reading comics, like you said, burping and farting and and, and you know snoring and whatnot, and they're just. It's it's kind of like you know watching the the guys from Wayne's World you know like manning a mission like that, right? And right. I lo- I I love the intro. Now I'm not a big fan of the song itself. It was not something I would listen to on loop, but uh, when that song Benson Arizona comes on, right, right, right. you know exactly. You know Benson Arizona. Right, you right. know what you're in for with this movie. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, you know, it's like, okay, this is not, even if it gets dark, you know, no pun intended again, mm-hmm. uh, even if it gets dark, you know it's not going to get too serious. Right, it's, right, right. Well, it's like when, I, yeah, when, yeah. well, it's like when Pin, Pinback gets trapped in the elevator shaft, you know, we should be just like on edge, I mean, like, you know, white knuckling it the whole time, which, you know, you kind of are, but you're also like kind of giggling because this is like, it's 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 Dan O'Bannon, you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Just... Well, I think I think the scene with the alien and the and the uh, elevator shafts are the best realized scenes, and they're the most successful thing. The, the, it's the most successful collaboration point points between uh, Carpenter and O'Bannon. Besides the very very end, I think that that those are because. You don't have to know the story of Dark Star at all to watch from the moment the computer says it's time to feed the alien to the time the alien right, is, right. is gone. You don't need to see. That's a little mini movie in itself. Now, of course, it was also added to it. One of the things that was added after Jack Harris put the money into but- <laughs> it, you know, and it's needed because it's it's when, again, when I saw this movie, when I was very little, that's what I remember. I remember that. And then I remember the very end with the guy surfing on the piece of spaceship right. because that's I'm like, what I remember. That, that's yeah. And r- I literally what I remember was that. And for some reason I remember Talby in his little glass bubble, like overseeing everything. As yeah, they see, were... I didn't remember that, that was, but it probably creeped me out though. When I was a kid, actually, what oh, I yeah, know, it, creeped, it, me it out, creeped me out, but what I know creeped me out and it's still creepy. It's still creepy. I don't know why the hell more people don't talk about this or why this wasn't used again in another movie, but the, the the commander guy that's, that's like cryogenically frozen, like in the hole of the ship or whatever, that they can kind of talk to through like a spirit box. The hell is that? Whoa. I mean, like, yeah, I want to know what, what kind of like uh, technology they were using because like I forgot all about that in this most recent viewing because granted it had been so many years since I had seen this and, gra- and it said, you know, this was only the second viewing. I had forgotten all about that. 
When right. it's like, I got to talk to the uh, Commander Powell. And I'm like, Commander Powell? I'm like, that was like the opening lines of the movie. They, like, he died, right? Like, right. Well, how are right. you going to talk to him? And then I'm like, oh, like, I get it. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, oh, <laughs> shit. Like, I remember now. Right, right. Well, you know, there is another part. I think the one part of the movie that I think is, isn't done correctly. And I mean this on a technical, like as a critical viewer, like the whole movie's weird. So it's hard to really critique it because it's really just a piece of art. And my critique of it is not valid for anyone but myself. That's just what, what, when it, pure pieces of art like that are very subjective in the eye of the beholder to me. You know, this isn't a total, like, I know it's been called a popcorn movie. I, I, I disagree. I completely disagree. I think it's three different visions, butting heads, for an hour and 20 minutes. I think it's Jack Harris and John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon. I think Dan O'Bannon was the dominant personality uh, who got most of what he wanted out there. A lot of it is because he's in front of, you know, the, the, the camera. But the point that I'm getting at, the, the one mistake that I think, and it's something that I don't remember this movie, this, when I watched it this last time to brush up on before we spoke about it, I think is the most brilliant, one of the most brilliant things I've seen in cinema. And never noticed it really before. It's been there right in my face. But when that computer says, let there be light, I, I got chills. But oh, and, and everything just blows up in a blinding I, white white light it, it's, it's very serene for you know an explosion that takes out the entire you know fucking crew and it's the way it would look there's no sound in space there's no yep. air you can't move air so it's just you just visual but there's no there's no sound so it's perfect however the mistake is they 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 come upon that moment so quickly and they could really milk that moment a little bit more if they milked it more i think the scene would be a cliche like you know frankly i don't give a damn you know like these 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 cliched scenes that you see in films you know that you yeah. see over and over and over again you know like when i think it would be overdone yeah it would be like one of those moments in cinema that people know you know um i'm trying to think of better m more examples of that i mean like with chaplin going through the the gear works Yeah, I'm not up too much up on Chaplin. Yeah, know Chaplin City Lights, is. I think it's called. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it just, it, it would be more poignant. It would be much more poignant. It would be much more well-known because it's a great idea. And it's a really brilliant line. Uh, you know, it's it's biblical. And, yeah. and it, has it almost feels like it'd be a one-liner in like a super action movie about like, you know, <laughs> like mega action Christ, like yeah, yeah there like, be light and psh. yeah, like Arnold, like some Arnold would say before he blows up the alien or whatever. Let there be light. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, but, and I think that for the, the calm mistake, state, the serene state that is that it, it, it is that the computer is when he's just let there be light. Like yes, and then yeah. the, the impact of how massive this explosion is, but how low key it is at the same time. It, it does. It, it, it's weird how low key it is, but it still takes. It took my breath away. Right. Well, I I I see that as they should have built that up harder, and then 
allowed it to be serene. So you build it up to the point where you think you're going to get this huge, loud event. But you build it up to this crescendo of this serene, beautiful event. But I don't think that that buildup was good enough. I, I think for that line, it's almost so quick, said so quickly that you can miss it. And I don't think it should be like that. I think it should be more highlighted. And sort of, if, if I'm making any sense at all. Yeah, I because mean, it just feels like it comes out of nowhere and it felt like it needed a little more buildup. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And they did foreshadow it a little bit, but I just felt like it was a little clumsily handled. But we're talking about kids here making their first movie. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing we got to, you know, I think we probably have to remind people that are are listening, you know, uh, or people that have seen this movie, or even if they haven't seen this movie, it's not the director of Halloween, because Halloween hadn't happened yet. This is his first film. This is not the guy who directed Escape from New York or uh, The Thing, at least at this point. There wasn't even a twinkle in his eye. You know, he had yet to create these things. And everybody's got to start, everybody's got to start somewhere. Right. Right, and well, I, I only wish my first fi- first film was was this goddamn good, you know. Well, <laughs> I you wish I had even, known as much. Well, you couldn't even swing a cat on on this set without hitting some award winning future filmmaker or writer or, or effects guy or something like that. I mean, these people are a who's who. I mean, you're talking you know, Tommy Wallace on set, Nick Castle, who played the shape, who a lot of people don't realize went on to have a brilliant directing career, like a lot of family films. And things yeah. like that. Nick Nick Castle is is playing the 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 alien, so he's he's yeah, not only the shape which... right, but he's the alien. Uh, Terrence Winkless. Uh, this actually, I had I wrote this down for my podcast because we recently had reviewed a movie called The Nest, uh, the '80s movie. Um, yeah, with the nest, and, and and Terrence Winkless directed it, and I and I was just I was a little lazy that week. I didn't do a lot of studying. And and I just didn't. I knew that name. I'm like, I know the name Terrence Winkless. I have no idea why. And then I'm watching this movie. And I see the name Terrence Winkless. I'm like, okay, well, Terrence Winkless wrote The Howling. That's something I should know. And he was he was involved in this. Now these are these were people who were all. I don't know what their official title was, but we both know on right. this set everybody was pitching in and doing everything. If you don't think Dan O'Bannon directed some of this and Carpenter directed some, of it, I mean, of course they did. This was a collaboration of people trying to get something done, you know, and they got it done. And probably the most impressive thing about this movie is that it was completed and released and turned to profit. Well, you know, a a name I got to throw out there, too, uh, one that you might have overlooked is Jay Stein Kaplan. You know, he only did several movies. He produced uh, Assault on Precinct 13 as well, but he did one that was one of my favorites of the early 80s was Final Terror. I love Final Terror, which I have not. Oh, watched the movie with Adrian Zemeda in it, yeah. Daryl Hannah, and all that. Huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Did not know yeah. That. There was a, there was a there was a connection there. My issue with that movie was that because Joey Pants is in that movie, Joey Pants yeah. Leano. I love yeah. Joey Pants. He <laughs> he lends a, this credibility with just by being on camera. He don't even have to be doing nothing. He can just be like the wallpaper in the background, and he raises the credibility of a movie. Right, right, right. He's great. No, he is great. My thing with that movie was always it, it, it. I was waiting. I was waiting for the horror to happen. And, and, and there's not very many people get killed in that, if I'm not mistaken. It's only got like a 
like what one or two people that yes, get uh, murdered and i mean it's it's a disappointment two or three tops i mean it's it, it, you're, you're waiting i mean if you watch this if you went to a theater what was it was that 19 what 82 when that came out yeah it might have been 82 might have been 83 at the okay. latest okay so so when you went and saw that in a theater it probably scared the hell out of you because of what you thought was coming and and, and then it seemed yeah, like it, it was just more ended suspenseful like, oh. it, it, was it was just kind of right. like yeah. i was i was more scared of like ooh, what's coming what's coming what's yeah. coming and it's, yeah it's kind of like yourself. the burning for me mm-hmm. you know other than the one scene on the raft there's not a whole lot of killing going on you You're know right really all that. the killing you know kind of happens all at one place or yes. one time yeah, I remember, I think I I probably rented it on VHS. No, I didn't see it in 83. I probably saw it in like 85, 86. I was really, when I started renting a lot, you know, my mom would take me to the, my mother would take me to the video store, whichever local one we had around at the time. And I just remember seeing that cover in the big box. I'm like, yep, I'm sold. Right, right, right. Well, I think, you know, looking at that, even even the, the connection from Dark Star to the Final Terror, like you're saying, and the connection to a lot of other huge, huge films, of course. Well, I mean, it's, even Tommy Lee Wallace, you know, I mean, yes. a, a lot of people that go back a, a long time. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Well, what I'm saying is that the it, it's a good um, it's a good thing to watch if you're a young filmmaker to see where people start. You don't start great. You start. You suck. Like. You know, I'm an old musician. I started playing guitar when I was five years old. I started playing bands when I was 14. I waited forever to find other people my age that knew how to play instruments. I started too young. So I waited around forever to learn to meet other kids who played any instruments. But the thing is, is that I was, I was terrible. I mean, you start terrible. You get good by doing things. And this right. movie is not really that great of a movie. It's just not that great of a movie. It doesn't mean you... It's, it doesn't have a lot of relevance, though, whether or not people like it, I don't think. Because I think people watch this movie who understand what it is are seeing the birth of a huge part of Hollywood that's going to be Hollywood right. for 20-plus years of after. Where it all, of, yeah, you kind of see where, like, his... I don't throw the term genius around lightly, but, you know, you see where the genius began. You right, know? right. And there's a lot of them on this set. There was... A, there was I mean... I like Tommy Lee Wallace, uh, Nick Castle. Oh, and I, you know, uh, as much as yeah. we, as much as we've kind of, you know, picked on a little bit of Dan, Danny O'Bannon as an actor, he wrote one of my favorite movies of all time, Return of the Living Dead. I mean, that's mm-hmm. uh, and as far removed from this movie as possible in, in right. tone and whatnot. But my God, what a film! Well, an Alien. I mean, yeah, and Alien. Alien it's, is just it's Alien to me is like a, it's a, it's it's beyond a movie. I mean, to me, it's like it's almost untouchable. It's a perfect piece of cinema. I, 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 yeah, I can watch Alien today, and I do watch it at least once a year. Oh, same. It's, same. I don't look for the mistakes. In it. I mean, there is none. It's a perfect film. I mean, I, I, it, it's. Uh, I don't have words for it. I mean, it's just insane. And the thing is, is that you know, the 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 legend is that Dan O'Bannon, of course, you know, him and Carpenter went and they went to a screening of this movie they are not a screening they just went it was playing in a theater and they wanted to go see what the audience reaction was and stuff like that and they said that they said they went to the uh 
the theater manager and they introduced themselves and said who they were and that they wanted to get the audience's reaction. Well, the theater owner said, what audience? (laughs) (laughs) This is not what you want to hear. And they said there was about five people in the theater who looked about as comatose as you could be, you know, and they were very disappointed. Well, it's the movie is too much of an inside joke. It's not funny to the public at large. It's only funny to the people who were in on the joke while they were there filming it. And Dan O'Bannon apparently said, all right, fine. If I can't make people laugh, I'll scare the hell out of them. And he said that Alien is a scary version of Dark Star. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and it is what it is. But I think Dark Star, Dark Star to me is much more influenced by 2001 uh, than I think it cares to admit. Um, it's a, to me, it's a satire. It's not a parody, but it's a satire. No. I don't find satire very funny. You not, know, so. not very often. Yeah. It it, it mm. depends on the source material, but yeah, I, I would definitely see it as a, a satire versus it being a parody, right? Because uh, so, there's so even he, a part that kind of harkens to, uh, uh, you know, the Aliens sequel that I, I feel like it must have been something Danny O'Bannon. I keep calling him Danny. I should just say Dan, and give mm-hmm. him the respect he deserves. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I feel like oh, I'm on a first name basis with you, sir. Right. Yeah, hey, right, right. Danny, you know, but <laughs> but the the finger fillet, okay, yeah, yeah. Like I, as soon as I saw that, I again, you know, so many things I'd forgotten about this film, having not seen it for God, you know, how many years. Uh, I was just, I picked up on that, and like you know, because I I pick up on things as a writer, sure, and, absolutely. You know, because I'm first and foremost a writer, sure. you know, and I pick that up, and I'm like, that's just a trope. That's that's an O'Bannon trope. Like you just know it. You know, you know that was the part that that was O'Bannon's influence. Well, I'll, actually, that actor improvised that whole scene, and he did that all on his own. Nobody oh. knew he was going to do, and he actually cut himself I and stand played it off. He played it off, and they hit cut, and he started cursing his his head off. And so, oh, he cut the hell out of himself doing it. But you also are correct, though, that it was an homage to that in Aliens. So in Aliens, when Bishop does that with Bill Paxton, it is an homage to Dark Star. You are correct about that. I, well, I'm, when I'm I correct saw, on a technicality, right? You're, but no, but I, when, I, when I was watching that, to, watching this movie last night to refresh myself before we talk today, I saw that. I didn't remember him doing that. I don't watch this movie a lot. It's not a kind of movie you just like, hey, hey, Angie, let's get drunk and watch Dark Star and have a ball. You know, it's not exactly what I call <laughs> Saturday night. You know, so I don't watch it very it's often. It's not a date. It's not a date night movie. Oh no, no. But I, when I saw him doing that, I said, "There's no way that Dan O'Bannon is a part of this film with that going on, with that little knife trick." And that Bishop and Bill Paxton doing that isn't some sort of connection. Someone along the way had to know that. So I did look that up because I, I figured that had to have been something. And But it, it was an homage to it. But I also discovered that, no, it was not written in at all. That that was that actor nice. who actually did that and just was just And he, of course, what does he do? He cuts himself. <laughs> What's that? And of course, he he fucking cuts himself. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, he does. I mean, it's it's, it's real, you know. So, but yeah, that was an interesting scene. It was good. You but know, you that, know that's, there, yeah. 
I was just say there are nuggets of you know it, for being you know just a, a student film. There are nuggets of brilliance right. here. I love the fact that that they try to reason with the bomb that they send Doolittle out there to take this bomb that's become like I guess you would say sentient, you know, mm-hmm. and like self aware and everything, and mm-hmm. to reason with it and give it the whole you know I think therefore I am kind of speech and yeah yeah and yeah. I'm, yeah. You think it works and it really it does work but. Not for very long, you know. Right. I mean, it does work on a technicality, but when he just decides, you know, nah, let there be light, and he blows anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's just just like any person is unpredictable. This bomb was it? What was it? It was it was just bomb number twenty, wasn't it? Or bomb bomb number twenty? I don't know where the other nineteen were, but or where they fit them. Yeah, they got. They all got. Yeah, they didn't get. (laughs) Self destructed, not did not get self destructed on ship. <laughs> right, right. I mean, but it, I, you know, I think some of it too is, you know, you get that when you're that college age, uh, you're becoming who you are, and part of that is exploring your mental process. It's exploring the big ideas, the big questions. Who are we? Why are we here? You know, you 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 get deep. You know, we call our listeners on our show lovingly and jokingly the deep thinkers. And of course, it's a little bit of an irony because we there's not a lot of deep thinking going on in my podcast. I promise you that. But yeah. well, don't sell part, yourself short. There's more well, deep thinking going on than you, you probably you probably give yourself credit for. Well, we you at least me and Harley would tell you in our in our personal experience, and this is where we are similar. We have much outgrown that. We've outgrown that a long time ago. The world is what it is, you know. And we but but you go through that phase to discover those things. It's not like they're not valid. It's just once you figure them out, you allow the college kids to figure them out when they become college kids. And you've moved on in life. And that's why older people don't get any younger people's music and stuff. That's just the way the world works. I think that they were definitely going through that period in their life, which, which would explain the conversation with the bomb and all the waxing philosophical you hear in the movie and stuff like that. And they try to play it off as comedy. But I kind of don't see it that way. I, I still see it as philosophical musings, and they're doing them on screen. And I think that a lot of student films and art films, that is what they do. They're expressing themselves. They're pieces of art, more so than pure entertainment. And I think that, that the part of this film and why people like it, and some people don't, it's kind of controversial. Even Carpenter really kind of doesn't like to talk about it a lot and stuff, is that it's kind of exposing an immature philosophy of an artist because the last thing Cameron that I want people to do is to go back to the records I recorded when I was in high school and actually listen to them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't want people. I would to hate, to- I would hate for people to read the first story I ever wrote. I would hate that. I would, I would probably pay people money to be like, please, please don't, don't right. let's, not, let's not and say we did. Right. And so there, that's why Carpenter doesn't, he doesn't really like, he doesn't disown the movie. He just ignores it. It's dismissive. And that's why to him, he's kind of embarrassed about it. There's a lot. I'm sure he, I'm sure it's hard for him to watch that movie and go, Oh God, I could have done that so much better. You know, oh, right, Dan O'Bannon, why did you, why did you, why did you push me to do it that way? Oh God. You know, and stuff. And why did and I, I think... get all coked out of my mind on day three? <laughs> <laughs> and why didn't I on day four? You know? Yeah. yeah so... if I would have just saved it and maybe rationed it for two days. <laughs> right, right. Um, 
You know, oh. and, and, and at the end of the day, and this is really what's really funny, too, is at the end of the day, I got I, I was in the middle of an argument between Ben Harley, my podcast partner, Joel Robinson, the artist extraordinaire, and yes, Danny yes, Hicks, no. my buddy from Evil Dead 2. Ooh, you were on the trifecta there. I was sitting in a hotel room. I won't, I won't tell you what we were doing, but we were having fun. And Ben and Danny and Joel got into it about music i'm the only musician in the room mind you okay they get into it about music and they start arguing about they start arguing back and forth about who's better i'm not kidding you the ramones or simon and garfunkel and i don't have to tell you who was on simon and garfunkel side and who was on the ramones side okay oh yeah i'm sitting there listening Right, I'm sitting there listening to this, and they're arguing back and forth. They're arguing back and forth. I'm looking at these people from different generations trying to validate their own generation's music, you know? And I said, you know, you guys want to hear a dirty secret? Like, well, like, you guys care so much more about the music you're talking about than Joey, Dee Dee, Johnny, any of them guys do, or Simon Garfunkel. You care so much more about their music than they do, I promise you. They would stop you from arguing right now, and they would say, it doesn't matter. It's just chords strung together. We did it a good way. That's it. We did it you in know, a way that Carpenter, pe- some people remember fondly. Yes. Well, and Carpenter and Obama, you know, you're arguing, or you're, you're really getting too deep into Dark Star. As we would say. You know, he would say, it's, you know, like, you can not like it. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just something we did. We were lucky to get the thing past the finish line. They would probably you know. question why, you know, 40 some odd years later that a couple guys like ourselves are spending an hour or two getting, you know, all poetic, you know, and getting deep dive discussion like uh, on a movie like this. They're probably like, you didn't just like smoke a joint and or, you know, drink a beer and just watch this with your brain mm-hmm. turned off. Mm-hmm. Then you totally are overthinking it. Right. But right. But again, that's that's why we're here is to overthink it. Right. Well, and, and for me, it's a piece of my childhood. You know, like, like something that you saw when you were a kid, some horror movie that scared you, that stuck with you, no matter how bad or good it is. Because you know there's some movies you caught on TV that were no-budget horror films that only you like. And you, oh, yeah. even, you, even you will watch them today, and you'll say, yeah, it's awful. But when I was six years old, I couldn't sleep for a week after watching it. Well, Dark Star wasn't scary like that to me but i will tell you it i never forgot it it was intriguing to me it was bizarre and for a little mindful of mush that age it affected me i never forgot it and it, it exposed me to something other than star wars yeah you know? it was a different space odyssey you know that was a uh, different than uh well, that was the tagline for it too. There was it the spaced out Odyssey. I think it was was the yeah, tagline like for it. I can't, yeah. But you know, it it was just it was not more of the same. It was different, you know. It and was. I I feel like I did a disservice to it over the years by not revisiting it because mm-hmm. I'm always a big proponent, and people have heard me say this a million times. Always give a movie a second try. Sure. You know, always give it, and I just never did. Right. I don't know why it was this. Uh, there's certain movies that I just, you know, haven't, you know, revisited. Now I'm starting to rethink on, you know, 
my, my thinking on some of that and revisiting some other ones that I may have seen when I was younger, you know, and maybe turned off to. Well, because I ask like, you, how has it changed then? How has it changed since? So when you said you saw it for the first time when you were, how old were you, you said? When you saw the first time? 13, or, or when was or it? 13, maybe 14. And so it probably would have been, I'm going to say probably around 88, 89, maybe. Okay. So, so now that you're an adult, how is it? And so you've changed. You've gotten past that philosophical college age where you know you can smoke a joint, get all deep, man, and have those kind. Of, I'm done with them conversations, man. I'm if I get too deep, I might drown and die. <laughs> I ain't going there anymore. I'm having fun, <laughs> but 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 we've all been there. So since since then, you've grown up. How has it changed for you? I mean, how has the film since you didn't like it? How has it changed? Well, you know. When I saw it originally, I just felt like, remember feeling like I didn't get it. You know, I'm trying to remember the frame of mind I was in, you know, in 88. Well, that's big, too, for a movie like you know, this. Definitely, I, yeah. I just didn't get it. So it was just one mm-hmm. of those, eh, I dismissed it. Now, to, to be quite honest, what I feel it's about, and I feel like I get it now, and maybe this is just me, but I think it's about dealing with death with a sense of humor. It's mm-hmm. it's dealing with the inevitable you know, knowing the death that's coming, because at the end, everybody dies. Let's face it, right. we're not, you know, everyone, when, uh, Doolittle, yeah. Yeah. Fuck, I couldn't think of it. Sorry there. I had brain fart. When Doolittle rides the piece of the ship that's just blown up and is riding past him, and what's his name? Uh, was it Talby? You know, mm-hmm. it's flying off into infinity, carried off by the meteor shower. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he rides down as a surfboard into the planet, into certain doom, but he's having, he's fun. It's like, an, a, to me, it's like accepting death for what it is with a sense of humor and just not giving a shit, not worrying mm-hmm. about the inevitable outcome. Now, I, maybe I'm breathing way too much into it, but mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I uh, take away from it now as an mm-hmm. adult. And I but love do, I mean, that ending. I love that yeah, ending, you, ending the same way that it began with that Benson, Arizona song playing as he's surfing down <laughs> into the planet and turning into, you know, Crispy Critters. Yeah, that was actually a real place. Uh, who, somebody, I think the guy that was doing some of the effects wrote the lyrics for it. He was actually driving to meet his girlfriend for Christmas and his car broke down in Benson, Arizona. And on Christmas oh, no Day... Shit. Yeah, on Christmas Day, he actually got a guy to call another guy who could fix his car. And sure enough, he got fixed and everything. And he said he was just he just wanted to write lyrics for some what most way out of what what is one place these guys you don't think they would be pining away for? Like the one place you don't think they would want to be, they did what they wouldn't miss. And he thought of this little at Benson, Arizona that that he, he was driving, traveling to meet his girlfriend for Christmas, and he got broke down this town. That's that's what he wrote it about. And as a matter of fact, I think he married her. Uh, the, ended up marrying the woman or whatever. But that so it was a real like, this is a little tidbit. You know, something I picked up just kind of looking up over the movie and stuff. Nice. But, See, I, but, I yeah, had no idea about that. It's I, it's a fun song. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun little. I like that old country music stuff like that. You know, I'm a country boy, so I I, I kind of dig that sound that they're given there, you know, I think it's kind of neat. Um, you know, norm, but what do you normally think, I what, don't. 
normally I you, don't like that that uh, much, but I, 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 in this case, I really thought it fit well. You like, right. I, I ended up liking it, you know, despite of itself. <laughs> right. I guess. Right. Right. What do you think? So, do you like it more now? That's I'm kind of get like. So you got something different out of it, but what about your enjoyment of it? Because because one thing that I think I think it bothered you. It sounded to me like when you're talking, it kind of bothered you that you didn't like it, given who was involved and yeah. what it is. Yeah, like in it made me feel like I did a disservice to Carpenter. You know, I have professed many things on this show, not just this month, but you know, on the show in general and just in life in general. Like John Carpenter is one of my two favorite filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I overlooked this film for so many years, it you know makes me disappointed in myself that I should have given it another shot. I should have given mm-hmm. it. Hell, I gave Memoirs of an Invisible Man another shot before I gave this one a, a second a second viewing. For fuck's sake! Well, see, but, I like that movie. Oh, I mean, I, I've always uh, liked it. When it came out, I not, not, almost not <laughs> didn't even see a Carpenter movie. I was like. Well, this is a good movie. I like it. You know, like I just thought it was. I like Invisible Man movies, though. I mean, I just I think it's a cool, oh, I it's usually cool idea. Do, but in that yeah. case, I, I I did. But okay. That yeah. being said, my enjoyment hit has increased immensely for this movie. Good. Like good. I I don't know where my rating would have been. You know, in you know eighty eight, eighty nine, what it was when I first saw it. You know, I would have guessed. You know, for the way I blew it off, I would have probably given it a two or three, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. But um. That being said, we should probably get into our final yeah. thoughts and reviews, so that way I, I, we can you can actually you can actually find out. Now, normally um, I ask guests to go first, but given the situation, I'm going to go first on this one since mm-hmm. I, I'm in more or less unfamiliar territory with this one. Mm-hmm. You know, have been a, a you know a first time watch in a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate where it was coming from. You know. I appreciate the beginnings, the origins of, you know, the the genius of Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's this movie, you know, I'm guilty of it for overlooking it. You know, it has a lot to be said for being a movie that's about a whole lot of nothing, to mm-hmm. be quite honest. Now, do I think it's a, you know, there's a difference between being a good film and a great film. Mm-hmm. I think this film falls just shy of being great, and I don't mean that as a slight. I still think it's a good film. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that being said, I'm giving it about a six and a half, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, uh, which I still feel, you know, anything above a, a five or above, I can recommend. Mm-hmm. You know, I always have the, the cutoff point. If it's a, if it's a 4.5 or lower, unless you're a completist, as, you know, we are, you know, with certain kind of films and certain things, I, I wouldn't recommend it. But I, I have to recommend it if anybody, you know professes to be a, a fan of Carpenters and, you know, all they can talk about is the thing like me. I mm-hmm. talk about is the thing, uh, big trouble, little China, they live Prince of darkness, you know, Halloween mm-hmm. and, and you know, amongst others, you know, I could go on and on and list this whole filmography, but you know, that, mm-hmm. that we don't have time for that, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, I give it a, a six and a half. I, I was really happy. And I have to say thank you, Timo for mm. picking this one out. I'm glad you did. First, mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, Dark Star. I haven't seen that you know, in uh, 30 years, give or take. You know, right, uh, right. I'm going to have to, I'm, like, I'm going to buckle down. I'm like, I, I need to give it another shot, you know, another shot. Fuck yeah, let's do right. it. Right. And I, I was kind of excited at first, and then I was just like, oh, I don't remember liking it. And then as I watched it, I was just like, fuck. Where was I at? You know, I, I know where I was at. Mm-hmm. I was 13, 14 years old, and I hadn't developed the little brain pan, you know, uh, enough. 
but yeah, mm-hmm. so I do want to thank you for that, and I'll and I'll let you uh, you know give your rating and review as well. So I'll, I'll stop rambling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I I'm actually here's here's a big shocker for you. I'm gonna be lower than you on the rating. I'm a I'll I'll say a five, and I think the movie to me is more interesting and fascinating, and the story around the movie. And seeing it and understanding how they did these little clever practical effects and things, given they were using nothing but ingenuity, is absolutely fascinating. I think there's some good, great ideas. That, that let there be light moment, great idea. The, the, the beach ball monster, uh, that, boy, that one tears people. I mean, that, that really right there, that whole part is what, separates people who like this movie who don't some people just cannot handle the fact there's a beach ball feet in 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 the movie isn't uh and you know who was i think it was george lucas uh dan o'bannon was working on star wars uh doing some production stuff and lucas said you did start dark star george lucas says yeah he goes why why did you use a beach ball for the alien is like couldn't you find like some <laughs> He even said, couldn't you find like some fake vomit to like put on the side of it or something just to gross it up a little bit? I mean, it just it's a beach ball. And apparently Dan O'Bannon replied to him. He's like, well, I don't know, George, you should have come over while you were making THX 1138 across campus and suggested it to us. And I probably would have done that. And O'Bannon said ever since that he pretty sure George Lucas just didn't like him. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think he appreciated the comment. Yeah, at least he. Right. Right, but I I you think didn't it's appreciate very, the cut of his jib. <laughs> right, it's very interesting. I don't necessarily think it's a good movie, though. I think it's good to me. Uh, I think when I was it 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 pulls a lot of feelings of nostalgia from my young childhood, which the older we get, the more we appreciate those feelings. You know that we get when we feel when we remember how we felt at that age and stuff. It does pull those things out of me. But as an actual film and people that are going to sit down and say, hey, let's watch a movie tonight. I don't think Dark Star would ever be one that I would suggest to people. You know, to me, it's a curiosity, um, given everybody involved and given the fact they got it done and released. That to me was huge yeah. because it to this day, it's what the big folly of filmmakers and artists is they claim to be a filmmaker or an artist or something or a musician, but they never put anything out. They constantly are working on their masterpiece, but it never comes out. Yeah, and they're, to me, they're always working on their magnum opus and then nobody ever sees a magnum opus. Right. And to me, Carpenter and O'Bannon, these guys, they had an idea. They, they saw it through. They saw it through. It took them a lot longer than they thought, but they did see it through. And... It turned out they, they, for better or worse, listened a little bit to Jack Harris. He helped push him across. But I got to tell you, this movie to me just reminds me of something that would play really well on a Saturday night in 1978 in UCLA at a midnight screening. And that's what it's made for. And I am, to be frank with you, those movies are not made for me very much. I've seen a lot of them. I went through the phase where I was into them and I, and I got them, but not today, not me, not me in 2020, not the 47 year old version of Tim, Timo, you know, that's not, that's not, he's going to really appreciate it. That being said though, 
the nostalgia, the ingenuity, the cleverness is still on display, uh, but they can't hide uh, the weaknesses of it. And the uh, it's a little arrogant in spots. It's a little self-important. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a little it's a little self. You know, the as much as I love the let there be light moment, it's a little self-important for a goofy movie like that. And here's the main thing, and the reason I'm only going to give it a five. I don't care what anybody says, and that you could think I'm wrong, just like we disagree about Big Trouble in China. Yeah, but this you know, to me, if we all like if we all like the same shit, it'd be a boring fucking world, and there'd only be like right. one movie. Right, right, right. And and but and it would be Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but well played, sir. I the main the main reason that I'm going to give it a five and not any higher, and I almost gave it lower, is is the Achilles heel of the whole thing, what it's supposed to be, and what I don't think it is. I think it's about as funny as a lampshade. It's not funny to me at all. It's not even I think humorous. When, it, when it is funny, it's funny unintentionally. Like, I think some of the stuff I found to be funny, the, the few times that it was funny to me, it, I feel like it was... It was like, oh, I found that funny, but I don't even think that was intended to be funny. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, it, like it does. The, I don't even see an unintentional. The movie's so cheap. I'm not sure unintentional humor is even a qualifier. I mean, so, I, la- I laughed yeah. twice. I did laugh. Uh, twi- I did laugh twice, but uh, twice in a whole movie that's m- meant to be, uh, you know, a 50-50 comedy. You know, even if it wasn't meant to be a hundred percent a comedy, that, no, that's not a great ratio. Comedy. It was made to be. I mean, Dan yeah. O'Bannon tried to tell people years later. He goes, "The reason the movie failed is because no one knew it was supposed to be a comedy. It's supposed to be a comedy. If people would have known it was a comedy, it would have done well." And this is the reason I'm gonna give it a five. It, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting against give it lower because I respectfully disagree with Dan O'Bannon. It's not funny. It would have failed as a comedy, just as much as it would have. It's failed as a as a science fiction film because it's not funny, and there's not enough science real science in it uh, you know for it to for it to hold up in that way as well for me again it's a super interesting uh piece of art that some very talented filmmakers put together in order to put to to put their foot in the door to go on and do and do their their careers as time goes on it's time went on after that but to me, it's nothing more. And anything else to it is simply personal to me from, from seeing it as a kid and lumping it in. With the other weird 70s bell-bottom sci-fi stuff that I was watching at that time on television because it was what was being fed to me after school. It wasn't like I was right, seeking right. these movies out. It was the only thing that wasn't a soap opera that I was going to watch. It was the closest thing. I mean, you know, I think you know where I'm coming from. If you grew up liking horror and fantasy and stuff, you would watch anything remote to it. You would watch. Oh yeah. Anything that had a whiff of it. Yes. Land of the Lost was on. You were going to watch it. You know? Yep. Um, It's just like, kind of like, you know, when I would turn on the creature feature, uh, you know, Late at night, it didn't matter what monster movie was playing. It was a monster movie. Did it matter <laughs> if it was one I had seen or hadn't seen or never heard of or heard of it? It didn't matter one lick. Something was on. And it was right. like I was going to tune in. I think if anything, I have to recommend, I do recommend this movie. And I think the reason why I'm coming in higher on it is just 
being Carpenter is like one of my two favorite filmmakers again. And I've said that like so many times and I, but you know, I think everybody who's a fan of anybody, if you're a fan of an actor or an artist, a musician, a filmmaker, you behoove it to yourself to not just check, check out their greatest hits, but you know, you need to check out some of their misses and right. you, you know, uh, you also need to check out their first work. You know, if you were even claim to be an admirer of somebody, I think it, it you are doing a disservice to yourself if you don't check out their first work. So, because nobody, including the fans, should ever forget where they came from. Right. And that's that's about the bottom line I got I for I you. Know? Yeah. yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that I would rebut by saying I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think my my rating is more for a general person. You know, it's more for someone yeah. who might not be like a big movie buff or something who just wanted to see a decent movie. I would throw them the thing or Halloween. Even the Elvis movie that Carpenter made, you know, back back in the seventies, but not this one. This one, this one to me is is um, it stands out to me because it was weird. But it but the beach ball monster and the surfing at the end were so bizarre that they stood out from the other weird shit that's come out that I was watching right then and there. So it stands out in that reason. In my in my adult life the people involved who made that weirdness uh, give it even more of a curiosity value, you know, too. And watching yeah, it's it, an odd, it's an oddity. It is it's an, an oddity. oddity yeah. And films. I enjoyed watching it. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed watching it, but I wouldn't necessarily assume anyone else would enjoy it. So my rating kind of is like partially for me, but partially like, yeah, but is it really a good movie or is it good? They got it done. And there's pieces of it, like you kind of said, too, that are really good. So I don't disagree with what you're saying. I'm just trying to also kind of more explain mine as well. And actually, anyone listening to this probably would have thought you would have given this a lower rating at the end and me a higher rating. Uh, but right, hey, right. I'm also so, a Carpenter freak, and Halloween's my favorite movie. And I don't even see a resemblance between the two. <laughs> you know, So it's like, no. Oh, none whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. None whatsoever. I right, mean, Halloween, right. really, if I had to pick a couple Halloween and probably the thing are my two favorites. If I, you know, I, would, I find it very hard to narrow it down, but they bear yeah. no resemblance to this film. I couldn't argue. Still, yeah. I could not argue with the thing in Halloween. Uh, I'll throw the fog and escape from New York as that same time period of brilliance from Carpenter. Right. But I can't, I escape couldn't argue. York, definitely. Yeah. I couldn't argue with those two if you picked them out. So yeah, absolutely. So two Carpenter fans are sitting here basically trying to critique his very, very first attempt to make a feature film. But I think, I think we're covering the bases, and I think we're both giving it yeah. a, fair, a fair representation of what it is, I think. Yeah. I don't think either, either one of us are, are treating it unfairly. I mean, I, if, if you came in even lower, I probably could agree with you because it's not a, a for-everyone kind of film. It, it definitely, hell, it wasn't for me for 30 years. Sure. You know, I, I had to had to wait thirty years to, you know, to to appreciate it. Right, right. Well, I've been but, waiting you know, for forty years to laugh at it, so <laughs> so getting <laughs> higher than five for me. So because <laughs> of that, there but, you oh, go. Well. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been fun, man. And again, I, I really do want to thank you for uh, just you know being the catalyst for uh, you know 
picking this movie since mm-hmm. you know when I when I presented the idea of, of doing you were the first person I, I talked to about doing John Carpenter Appreciation Month and I was like oh he picked he picked a weird one I'm like oh, you know and and, and the ones that everybody's picking every ones <laughs> that everybody's been picking are not the ones I would have predicted certain people to pick when mm-hmm. I went to them like hey here's what we're doing right you know, we're in Carpenter Month and like the ones I always figured everybody was going to pick did not get picked. <laughs> but you don't have to tell me who it was because I don't want to do a spoiler for your show. And I don't know. I don't really know how you frame it when you. But did anybody pick Halloween? No. Someday in the future, when the memory of that show is done, you you contact me and we'll do we'll do a show about about Halloween because that's that's my favorite movie oh, of right all on. time. And as much as I love movies and as much as I know about movies and stuff, there, there's it's it's. I think Blazing Saddles might be the other film that I know as much about as probably the people who were there as opposed to Halloween. I know that sounds odd, but that's true because Blazing Saddles to me is probably one of the greatest. There's so many things that are perfect about that movie, including uh, teaching people not to be assholes. Uh, that, yeah. that I just absolutely have a love affair with that film teaches, and Halloween, you know, as well. Well, it teaches uh, people to not be judgmental pricks. Right, because it shows you how stupid it is, and that's that's the comedy of it, and I love it. I absolutely love that. That's a great way to use comedy for a good, for for a real good thing. And I think we could use we could use that type of lesson uh, today, not just being preached to. Sometimes people turn their nose up to that. Let them watch Blazing Saddles, and maybe maybe that will change their minds, you know. And I think that we're we're missing that. And so, but 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 beyond that, uh, I I would I would love sometime. Talk about Halloween. It's just that, yeah. I, I honestly, I kind of figured somebody either would have picked Halloween, or it's too obvious for Carpenter Month. So that's why yeah. I thought of Dark Star. Yeah, people picked all the oddball ones this time. It was just like I had a special effects friend of mine that I would have bet money on. I would have bet my paycheck on. Would have picked uh, the thing. He picked uh-huh. They Live. I was just oh, like, oh. okay. I'm like, all right, all right, okay. I, see, I pick up what you're throwing down. Right, right. But yeah, eh, well, just the way it works out. But yeah, if uh, you know, if, so, if something happens, and you know, I'm end up doing this podcast thing for, uh, you know, for hell, uh, hell, if I end up doing it for half as long as uh, you have, I will probably definitely cover it again. Well, before you stop doing it, if you want to stop, then the last show you'll have to talk to me about Halloween because it'll probably be a a nine hour show, it's known as much as we can gab about stuff. But and if you know, we as can much do it as, as a, I know, it's a double yeah. header. Right, right. And I was going to say, if you know as much as I know, we could probably go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, you know, talking about that. So right. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's perfect cinema. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yes, well, thank it you. Though. Yes, Thanks. This was fun to talk about Dark Star. And eh, it's one of those movies that I would call to Ben Harley a, a Petri dish movie. He's in my Petri dish and I'm, I'm feeding him the weird, the weird stuff to mess with his head. <laughs> right, right, right. I always call it the ones off the beaten track, you know? Everybody yeah, Everybody thinks yeah. of, you know, it was kind of like, for instance, uh, I'll talk about this real quick before we go. When we did Romero Month uh, back in December, you know, I had a couple of friends of mine pick a Season of the Witch, and that was probably the, one of the least talked about Romero films, and that was right. so much fun to cover. I have that you on know, Blu-ray, just, actually. It's an interesting film. It's a very interesting yeah. film. Yeah, very, very interesting. You know, and like I had another friend, uh, you know, pick Monkey Shines, another you know, less off the beaten track kind of movie. And I like I like covering those as much as I like covering you know, the big, big films. Obviously, yeah. You did, know, did anybody did not... anybody cover uh, Bruiser? No, we didn't. 
And we didn't cover Bruiser. We didn't cover I Bruiser. Asked, I hate that movie. I actually hate that movie. But 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 it's interesting because it's I, I know it's uh it's gotta be some kind of personal labor of love for Romero to have done that film. Because I don't even think I understood it when I saw it. I, I, just, uh, I didn't I quite understand it either. <laughs> I'm just curious. I'm curious whether anyone wanted to tackle that or not. I don't. So don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not volunteering. I don't. I don't want to watch no. it again. You know, I hated it. But I'm just saying. I, I was just curious if anybody tackled it because no, I'd be curious to hear tackled that one. I probably, I probably would have like. To be honest, it's my probably my least favorite Romero film, and mm-hmm. I wanted to stay away from doing the least favorites because. You know, they're no it's fun. all about we're we're trying yeah, we're trying to do we're trying to appreciate their work, not depreciate it. You know, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I yeah. was well, that's why I was willing to take a chance on this one. I'm like, you know, I had a feeling uh, that my feelings would change or that, that I would at least come in higher than you know than mm-hmm. when I did when I was younger. But yeah, right. it was it was an interesting one to revisit as an older man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I'm glad. And it's there's a lot of interesting things, a lot of history, a lot of interesting uh, trivia involved in that film, whether you like it or not. So it's it's definitely worth the journey to watch it was. for that. And thank well, speaking of journey, I want to thank you once again for taking this journey with me, you know, uh, down memory lane and then the Cinema Degeneration show. Mm-hmm. You know, I always appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to do my silly little show. Oh, no problem. I appreciate it, too. It's always a little liberating for me to be, I feel like a little bit more like the Ben Harley on this show, where it's 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 the, the handsome Cameron Scott driving the car and just kind <laughs> of uh, picking my brain at stuff. But a lot of times that's sort of Harley's role in our show. So it's a lot of fun for me. It's actually, a, a, it's, it's a bit of, um, Oh, it's relief, maybe, <laughs> you know, like just liberating kind of back. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it is. It is. It's nice. So it's, it's, you know, uh, it's, and I have it's to good say, to do um, um, Thank you for the compliment, uh, the handsome part of the check is in the mail, sir. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. You got someone to Harley too, because, you know, he was telling me earlier you were handsome. So matter of fact, I got a few friends that were saying you're handsome. They're broke too. Uh, let's see. Let me get a list of people <laughs> that need money here. Now I'm just I'm messing with you. So no, no, I had fun, Cameron. Thanks a lot. I know Harley said yeah, hi. Thank you. And uh, and uh, I'm uh, continued success. I'm I'm glad you're doing this. And podcasts, they're a labor of love. They're a lot of hard work, but they're fun. They're fun. To, they're a good excuse to talk about some of this nonsense and make it sound maybe a little more important than it needs to be. But that's why we're here, right? Right on. That is why we're here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we can call it an evening or an early afternoon. Sounds good. All right. Well, folks, you have once again, you have been listening to Cinema G Generation Network, and this has been John Carpenter's Appreciation Month, and we have been covering the 1974 one that started it all, the first feature film by John Carpenter, Dark Star. I have been your host, Cameron Scott, and this has been my good co-host and good friend, Tim O'Sabin. Thank you once again for joining us. Thanks, guys. You know, Talby, you really ought to eat with the rest of us. Spend too much time up here. I like it up here. Must get lonely being up here so much. I don't like going below since Commander Powell died. Feel too enclosed down there. Yeah, you should spend some more time below, though. I mean, you know, you should see more of the rest of the ship. You see, I can watch things up here, Doodle. I love to watch things.
Just stare at the planets, meteors, gas clusters, and asteroids. Yeah, but you'll have plenty of time for that later, though. I mean, think of it this way. We've been in space for 20 years now, right? And we've only aged three years. So there'll be plenty of time later on for staring around. You know, Doolittle, if we're going into the Veil Nebula, we may actually find a strange and beautiful thing. The Phoenix Asteroids. They should be passing through there about now. Phoenix Asteroids? Never heard of them. They're a body of asteroids that circle the universe once every 12.3 trillion years. Phoenix Asteroids. From what I've heard, Doolittle, they glow. Glow with all the colors of the rainbow. Nobody knows why. 